So since Dennis is out this week on his annual camping trip to Yellowstone, I thought it would be fun to start out with the 10 essentials for camping according to the internet. And I note that it's a, according to the internet because I'm definitely not what you would call a camper. I've said this to you before. Uh, I, don't get me wrong, I love the outdoors. I, I think it's uh, beautiful to wake up to the view of the trees and the birds from the window in my hotel room. <laughs> That's right. Amen. Amen. So as I list off these 10 essentials for camping, I'm relying on the expertise of others. So first, you need a navigation system. It's important to know where you are and how to get where you need to go. All right, second, you'll want a headlamp or a flashlight with some extra batteries because you want to be able to see in the darkness. Third, you want to take some sun protection with you because sleeping on the ground is uncomfortable enough. You don't want to throw a sunburn into the mix. All right. Fourth, you want to take a first aid kit with you and make sure in your first aid kit you pack some aloe vera just in case you forget to apply that sun protection. All right. Fifth, you're going to want to take a knife with you because knives are cool and you can cut things. All right. Sixth, you want some type of pre-made shelter. All right. You don't want to have to build this on your own. You're not on the show Survivor. Don't try and build your shelter on your own. Take either a camper or a tent with you. All right. <laughs> Seventh, you're going to need something to start fire. Whether we're talking about matches or a lighter, Take something with you to start a fire. I saw how hard it was for Tom Hanks in that movie Castaway to start a fire without anything else. Take something with you before you go. All right. Now, eight, you're going to want to take food with you. Now, who are we kidding? On, on whose list is food the number eight priority? I'm already thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch today, and I'm sure many of you are too. So in what world is food the number eight priority? All right, It's always going to be number one on my list. But on this list, food is number eight. All right, Ninth, you're going to take some water because you want to stay hydrated and you need something to wash down that food. All right, And finally, tenth, you're going to take some extra clothes with you because no one likes a stinky camper. All right? So these are the essentials for camping according to the internet. And the bottom line is, if we don't do the things necessary to prepare for the camping trip, we're not going to get the, the results that we are hoping for. All right, so right now we're in the middle of this series, Seven Essentials for Revival. And as we're walking through this series, we're looking at different passages in the book of Acts to give us insight into the things that are necessary to be present if we are going to experience revival. And isn't that something that you want to experience? Don't you want to experience revival, church? Wouldn't it be great to see God do something amazing in our city, something that we couldn't explain on our own, that we would see the multitudes coming out of their sins and coming to Christ? How awesome would that be? Can we just pause one more time and just ask the Lord for that this morning? Ask the Lord for revival. Let's do that right now. Lord, send revival. 
Send revival to this city. Bring the lost in Watauga, Texas, out of their sins and into a saving relationship with you, Lord. Lord, send revival and start with us in this place this morning. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. Now, as you turn there, let me just quickly set this up for you. Last week with Pastor Dennis, we looked at those beginning verses of chapter 2. And in the beginning, what we see is is the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, there were people from every nation, every tongue present there, according to this passage. And when God poured out his spirit, all of a sudden... The people who could not once speak languages, the disciples who were not language buffs, all of a sudden they begin to speak in all of these foreign languages. They begin to speak in all of these languages of other people and people begin to hear the gospel being proclaimed in their own language, in their own tongue. Now I want you to understand the importance, the significance of what happened here because in the book of Genesis, we see that there was only one language, all of the, all the people of earth were united in their language, but mankind became puffed up and arrogant, and so they wanted to build a, a really tall tower, a tower so big that they could say, look at us, look at what we have built, look at what we have accomplished, look at our greatness. And so, so what we see is that God confuses their languages, making it difficult for mankind to communicate with one another. So in the book of Genesis, we see mankind proclaim its own greatness and God confuses their languages. But then when we get to the day of Pentecost and his spirit is poured out, all of a sudden, the people that couldn't speak different languages, now they are speaking these foreign languages. And the people that couldn't understand the Galileans who were the ones speaking, all of a sudden they could hear the gospel being proclaimed in their own language. And so as we see God once again unite the languages, unite mankind through language, this time what we see is that mankind is not proclaiming its own greatness, but as God unites the languages through the Holy Spirit, now we see mankind proclaiming the greatness of God. So we see the disciples speaking in all of these different languages. Then we specifically see Peter stand up and begin to preach a sermon and so our passage today is going gonna, gonna to focus on a part of Peter's sermon that he's preaching here and the response of the people that are there listening. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, 29 through 41. It says, Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father... The promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah." 
When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So clearly what we see going on in this passage is a revival occurring. Those final words that I just read was that 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus Christ that day. So what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn from Peter's sermon so that we can see and experience revival in our church and in this city over 2,000 years later? So we're going to look at three things today that are necessary if we're going to see revival. Three things that are necessary if we're going to see revival. First, if we're going to see revival, we must proclaim the gospel what we see in Peter's sermon is a proclamation that Jesus was crucified, Jesus died, and Jesus rose up from the grave. We see Peter's presentation of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We see Peter proclaim the gospel. So what was the first thing on that list of the essentials for camping? A navigation system. A navigation system, whether we're talking about a map or whether we're talking about a GPS system, a navigation system, it tells us where we are and how we need to get to where we need to go. All right, and this is exactly what the gospel does for us. The gospel tells us where we are and how to get to where we need to go. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means you have sinned and I have sinned. Each of us has done something that is disobedient to God, and God calls that sin, and we have all done, it, done this. And that sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. That means that what we have earned for our sin, the penalty for our sin, what we deserve for our sin is death. So in these two verses right here, we understand, we have learned that sin separates us from God and that we have, what we have earned for our sin is death. And apart from Christ, that is where we are. Apart from Christ, that is where we find ourselves. We find that apart from Christ, we are headed in that direction of eternal separation from God and eternal death. But if we continue... In Romans 6.23, we see, But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the good news. That's the gospel that apart from Christ, we are separated. Apart from Christ, we are destined for death. But Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. And he rose again so that in him we can have new life. The gospel tells us where we are and it tells us how to get to where we need to go. 
So here in Peter's sermon, he presents the gospel. He proclaims the gospel to the crowd that Jesus died and that he rose again. And we see people turning from their sins to be saved. Understand, if we are going to see revival, we must proclaim the gospel. Well, you say, Pastor, we are presenting the gospel here in this church every single week. Pastor Dennis is doing such a great job of proclaiming the gospel from the pulpit each and every Sunday. And I would, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. We are doing an excellent job of proclaiming the gospel each and every week within these walls. And we really do that in, in two ways. First, we, we do that in our growth groups on Sunday mornings. So let me just pause and plug our growth groups real quick. Because in our growth groups, we're going through the Gospel Project. And what I love about the Gospel Project is it connects all of Scripture to the message of Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, when we look at these Old Testament passages, which many times we often look at as outdated or unnecessary, no longer useful, when we look at the Old Testament, as we're walking through the Gospel Project, it helps us to look at all of Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the lens of the Gospel. And so let me just encourage you, if you are not currently connected, if you're not plugged into one of those growth groups on Sunday morning, get connected. Get plugged into one of those growth groups so you can begin seeing how all of Scripture connects to the gospel of Jesus Christ so you can grow in your own faith in Jesus Christ. But also, we have a pastor who is, who is proclaiming the gospel faithfully each and every week. And I say that confidently. I know that Pastor Dennis is standing up here in the pulpit not preaching a false gospel, not preaching his own truth, but he is standing up here each and every week proclaiming the truth of the good news, the truth of the gospel that we see in God's word. And I can, off, I can also confidently say that Victoria is teaching the gospel. She is teaching the children on Wednesday nights in Awana. She is faithfully teaching the children the gospel of Jesus Christ each and every week. And I'm also teaching the gospel faithfully to our students in the student ministry each and every Wednesday night. I can confidently say that here within the walls of First Baptist Watauga, we are proclaiming the gospel faithfully each and every week. But if you'll allow for me to be honest for a moment, I believe that there's an area that we can grow in. And I believe that this is an area that we can grow in as a church as a whole. This is an area that we can grow in as individuals. And I believe that this is not unique to our church. I believe that, that this is an area that churches across America can grow in each and every day. And that is to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel faithfully outside of the walls of the church building. Yes, there are some here today, some of you here today need to turn from your sins. There are some of you here today that need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Today, you need to be saved. But church family, the multitudes of the lost, the multitudes that need to hear the good news are not within these church walls this morning. The multitudes of the lost are outside of these walls they are your neighbors, they are your friends, they are your co-workers, they are your family members, and they desperately need to hear the good news. They desperately need us to proclaim the gospel. So just a few moments ago, 
I talked about Romans 10, 9, which says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. But just a few verses after that, we see in Romans 10, 14, it says, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now understand that word preacher simply means messenger there. And while a vocational pastor is certainly a a preacher by trade, this passage is not advocating only for pastors to be the messengers of the gospel. It's telling us in order for people to confess Jesus as Lord, they first have to hear the good news. And in order for, for them to hear the good news, there must be someone willing to tell them. Church family, that call to go and share, that call to be messengers of the good news, to proclaim the good news, that call is not just for Pastor Dennis. That call is not just for me or for Matthew or Victoria. That call is for each and every one of us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to be a messenger of the gospel. You are called to proclaim the gospel faithfully and intentionally with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, and with your family members. And I believe that if we, if we became completely intentional, if we began to be completely faithful in proclaiming the gospel outside of these walls, with our friends, with our family members, with our neighbors, and with our coworkers, if we began to share the gospel faithfully and intentionally with everyone we encountered, I believe that we would begin to see the multitudes turning from their sins and coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord. So if we're going to see revival, we must proclaim the gospel. Second, if we're going to see revival, we must preach repentance. So following Peter's presentation of the gospel, we see the people were pierced to the heart. They heard the good news and their eyes were open to the realization of their sin and their need for a savior. And they were pierced to the heart to the point that they said to, the, to Peter and to the other apostles there, they said, brothers, what should we do? And the first thing that Peter says to them in verse 38 is that word, repent. Now understand that word repent, it simply means to to turn around. So when Peter says that word repent, what he is telling them is to turn from the direction you're currently going in. Turn from your disobedience, turn from your sins, and turn to Jesus Christ. So there's a couple of things that I want you to understand here about repentance. First, turning from your sin doesn't have to be a scary thing. I talked about this with the students on Wednesday night in our student ministry service. But many times we can we we have this image that that God is an angry dad. And so we are fearful to turn from our sins and to confess our sins to God because we believe that if we confess our sins to God, we are going to be met with an angry dad that's going to ground us or beat us or even worse. So I want you to understand something. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ when Jesus died on that cross. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus when he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And for all those that would turn from their sins to receive Jesus Christ, they received that grace. Not God's wrath, but they received God's grace. 
So we don't have to be afraid to turn from our sins and to turn to Jesus because we're not going to be met with an angry dad. We're going to be met with a loving father. We're going to be met with a compassionate father, a gracious father, and he's going to offer forgiveness for your sins. So turning from your sin doesn't have to be a scary thing. Second, the second thing I want you to understand is that turning from your sin or repentance is a necessary thing for your salvation. By definition, that word repentance does not mean to continue in the same direction. What I've already said is it means to turn around. And so as we look at this word repent, it's with the understanding that, that we're walking towards our sin, we're walking towards our disobedience, but upon the realization that we are in our sin, upon the realization that we need a Savior, we literally do a 180, and now our sin is behind us, and we are walking towards Jesus. In Matthew 6, 20, 24, Jesus told us that we cannot serve to masters. In other words, Jesus is not equal with the other things in our life, including our sin. Jesus is not on the same side of our sin saying, come to me and continue in your sin. Come to me and continue in your bondage. Come to me and continue in the things that are destroying you. Jesus is not on the same side of our sin. Jesus is on the other side. And so if we are going to turn to Jesus, we literally have to turn away from our sin. And so in order to be saved, in order to receive salvation, repentance is a necessary thing. Therefore, if we are going to see revival, we must be willing to preach repentance Now, why am I spending time talking about the necessity of preaching repentance? Because we live in a world, in a culture today that doesn't want to offend anyone. And that mere idea of telling someone that they have to turn from something they're currently doing, that they need to stop living the lifestyle that they're living, that they need to turn and and submit their lives to someone other than their own desires... And their own feelings, that that mere idea of telling someone to turn away from how they're currently living is an offensive idea in our world today. But if, if we're going to see the lost come out of their sin and come to Jesus, we cannot be afraid to stand on the truth of God's word. We cannot be afraid of offending people. Can I just say that Peter was not afraid of offending people here. Pastor Dennis talked about this last week, about Peter's boldness. In in verse 36, we see Peter say, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter just straight up says to them, You killed him. You didn't believe him. You didn't trust him. You killed him, and he is the Lord and Messiah. Peter wasn't afraid of offending them. He wanted to proclaim the truth to them. And what Dennis told us last week is that that what we see is a different Peter here than what we saw leading up to the cross. Because as Jesus was arrested, as Jesus is on his way to the cross, Peter is afraid for his life. And so he denies even knowing Jesus. Three times he denies knowing Jesus. Jesus out of fear. So what happened here? 
Dennis talked about this last week. Two things happened in Peter's life. Jesus restored him, but the Holy Spirit was poured out upon him. And that spirit emboldened him to preach the truth without fear. And the same spirit that filled Peter, that same spirit that emboldened Peter, that same spirit that gave him the confidence to preach the gospel is the same spirit that has been given to you. And so you and I can preach the gospel. We can proclaim the gospel and we can preach repentance without fear because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as we preach, as we proclaim, it's for the sake of our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our co-workers. It's for the sake of those that God has placed in our lives. So if we're going to see revival, we must proclaim the gospel. If we're going to see revival, we must preach repentance. Finally this morning, if we're going to see revival, we must practice baptism. So as they asked what they need to do, Peter says, repent and be baptized. So what is the significance, the importance of baptism here? Well, in the church, we have two church ordinances. These are things that we believe that God has called us to in order to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ as a church. The first thing that we do is is we practice, we observe the Lord's Supper. That is with the breaking of bread and the drinking of the fruit of the vine so that we can remember the shedding of blood and, and, and his body crucified on the cross. We practice the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did for us because he commanded us to do so. But he gives another command to the disciples as, as Jesus is, is about to ascend to heaven. Jesus gives another command and this is what our second church ordinance is and that is baptism. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Now, as we look to Scripture as a whole, what we see is that baptism is not the means of salvation. Rather, it is a sign of salvation. Baptism is not the means of salvation. Rather, it is a sign of salvation. Baptism is the way that Jesus has commanded us to publicly declare that we are his followers. So as Peter says, repent and be baptized... We see two things happening here in this statement. We see salvation through repentance, through turning to Jesus. And we see this public declaration following that salvation through baptism. You see, we are, when we are called to give our lives to Christ, we are not only called to give our lives to Christ. We, we are not only called to submit our lives to his leadership and his authority. We are not only called to repent of our sins. We are called to do these things publicly. In other words, what Jesus has called us to and what Peter is preaching here is that there are no secret followers. There are no secret disciples of Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus... When you, when you are transformed by him, you don't continue to live your same life publicly that you once lived. There is a public transformation that takes place in your life because Jesus radically changes us. He doesn't leave us the same. And so in order for us to, to live out our faith, it must change our life publicly. And the way that Jesus calls us to first declare our faith in him publicly is through 
baptism. We are called to publicly display our faith through baptism. And I believe that as we look at this passage, what we see here, as we see 3,000 gave their life to Christ that day, what I believe we see happening is a chain reaction happening. I believe that there were probably families there that day, that there were probably co-workers there together that day, that there were probably some neighbors there together that day. And so as maybe a father gave his life to Christ and then declared Jesus as Lord through baptism, his family gave their life to Christ and publicly declared Jesus as Lord through baptism. And then maybe, maybe some neighbors that were there together. One neighbor gave his life to Christ and publicly de declared Jesus through baptism. And so the other neighbor was saved and he gave his life to Christ and publicly declared through baptism. And co-workers, maybe one co-worker gave his life to Christ and publicly declared Jesus through baptism. And so another co-worker gave his life to Christ and publicly declared Jesus through baptism. I believe we see a chain reaction happening as the gospel was presented, as repentance was preached, and as people publicly declared Jesus as their Lord through baptism. I believe that that's what led to 3,000 people being saved that day. So church family, let me give you this challenge. Let's start a chain reaction in our city Let's start a chain reaction in our city. Let's share the gospel faithfully. Let's preach repentance so that people will turn from their sins and come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ so that they will publicly declare Jesus as their Lord so that we can see friends saved, so that we can see family members saved, so that we can see coworkers saved, so that we can see, we can see the city saved. Don't you want to see that happen, church? Let's start a chain reaction so that we can see the city of Watauga, Texas saved through Jesus Christ. But first, let's let that revival start in this place this morning. So I'm going to invite the praise team back up here. And we're going to have a time of response this morning. Maybe you're here today and you would say you have never given your life to Jesus Christ as you would look at your own life, as you would look at the navigation system of the gospel, you would look at where you are and you would say you are still heading in the direction of your sin. You are still heading in the direction of eternal destruction. But today you recognize your desperate need for the Savior and you realize that it is Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And today you are ready to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus, to allow for him to be the Lord of your life. If that's you today, if you have never given your life to Jesus, but today you are ready to make Jesus your Lord, then I would invite you, join me down front during this last song. As I stand here, get out of your seat, join me down front. Let's talk, let's pray, and let's let today be the day of your salvation. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you've given your life to Christ. You've made Jesus your Lord, but you have never followed through public baptism. And today, God is moving in your heart. And you recognize that you don't need to be a secret follower, but you need to take that first step of obedience to publicly declare Jesus as your Lord through baptism. If that's you today, then I would invite you to come during this last song as well. 
let's talk, let's pray, and today we can make plans for you to be baptized. Maybe you're here today and you believe that God is calling you to make First Baptist Watauga your church home. Maybe you've been visiting here and, and, and you believe that God is now calling you not just to visit, not just to attend, to be, but to become a part of what God is doing here. You want to come alongside of us and encourage us. You want us to come alongside of you and encourage you. But you believe that God is calling you to be a part of the revival that he's doing here in First Baptist Watauga and the revival that he's going to do here in Watauga, Texas. If you want to be a part of that, then I would encourage you, come during this last song as well. I'd like to talk with you, pray with you, and maybe get you connected to one of our decision counselors. But whatever it is that God is calling you to, you to do in these final moments, I would encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me and let's pray together.